Hello, and welcome to the Future Christian Podcast, your source for insights and ideas into what it means to live as a follower of Jesus in the 21st century. At the Future Christian Podcast, we talk to pastors, authors, and other faith leaders for helpful advice and practical wisdom to help you and your community of faith walk boldly into the future. Here's your host, Lauren Richmond Jr. Welcome to the Future Christian Podcast. This is Lauren Richmond Jr. Today I'm welcoming Dennis Sanders to the show. A native of Flint, Michigan, Dennis is an ordained minister in the Christian Church Disciples of Christ. He received his bachelor's in journalism from Michigan State University and his master's of divinity from Luther Seminary. He's been a communication professional working for various nonprofits for over 20 years. From 2008 until 2013, he was the associate pastor at First Christian Church Disciples of Christ in Minneapolis. Since 2013, he's been the pastor of First Christian Church of St. Paul in Roseville, Minnesota. He lives in Minneapolis with his husband, Daniel. All right, welcome to the show, Reverend Dennis Sanders. Thanks for being here. Uh, What else would you like our listeners to know about you? Well, um... Besides, uh, I grew up in um, a town that it seems like everyone knows, uh, Flint, Michigan. Um, that was my hometown, but both my parents were um, auto workers for mm-hmm. General Motors, which was the uh, the thing you did back in the 70s and 80s. Um, so uh, it is, it's always interesting kind of going back to Michigan, um, mm-hmm. especially southeastern Michigan. Um to see how things are changing and sometimes for the good. I think these days probably more for the good than, than for the bad. Um, Hmm. But there are still a lot of challenges that Flint is dealing with. Um, Of course, um, the ramifications from the water crisis a few years ago, um, but also from just the changes in the American economy and, and and, in American manufacturing. So, it's always just fa- fascinating to kind of come back and see how is the the town kind of dealing with all of those changes. Yeah, yeah. Um, share if you would kind of about your journey of faith, what that looked like, you know, growing up, what that looks like today, what what may or may not have changed for you. Yeah, um, I grew up, I would say, in in two traditions at the same time. That would be the the black church and then also um, evangelicalism. And I think that both of them were incredibly kind of foundational to me, um, Mm -hmm. probably in ways that I wouldn't have um, kind of realized. Um, You know, I think for me growing up, you know, the, the whole point of, or the way that you would uh, kind of see yourself as a Christian was, I would say kind of that whole kind of what people would be calling today decision theology that you would um, make a decision to follow Christ Mm -hmm. um, and to be born again. And I don't put that down. I don't, I don't see it that way as much anymore. I think um, going into seminary um, and especially uh, because I I went to a, a Lutheran seminary, just kind of understanding the concept of, of, of grace and of God and the whole point of, of the action that took place on the cross is really the, the, the quote unquote decision that wasn't really on my part. 
It mm-hmm. was um, something that happened um, in God through Jesus, and that things like our baptism um, is a way of of that saying yes to that, of knowing that you are welcomed into that. But I also want to respect that where I came from, because I think that faith um, helped me, especially as I got older, um, uh, coming to terms with my um, sexuality and being gay, that understanding of God's love, even then from that background, I think helped me to not reject my faith, um, Hmm. which I think so many people, because they came from, I think, really, I want to say more shame-based backgrounds, Mm -hmm. sometimes ended up, it was just very hard for them to accept um, Christianity as a whole, or they had to leave the faith and then come back. And I never really had to do that because I never felt that that God didn't love me. Um, hmm. even if I may, even if I was not doing something I thought then that, that was acceptable to God, I didn't think God was like, well, you, you know, you're done. Um, yeah. and so coming into that and then understanding more about grace and, and, and into mainline Protestantism and into grace, I was able to kind of hold on to that faith. And, um, so while I, I think I'm at a different place um, than I used to be, I don't uh, discard what I grew up with because I think it helped me uh, be who I am. And I think it yeah. got me through that transition. Yeah. Dennis, I don't know if you'd agree with this, but from from my thinking, at least, um, and I've heard this from others too, like it really is important to try to find a way to make peace, to reconcile your kind of past you know, even if for, for me, for me, at least I'm definitely far in a far different place than I was theologically growing up, but I've come to like find an appreciation for, even if sometimes I chuckle at myself. <laughs> yeah. You know, I want to be careful in what I say, because I know that there have been people that have been hurt by their faith. Mm-hmm. Right. But- you also right. don't want to just hold on to that hurt. And I think sometimes yeah. that's become kind of fashionable to kind of hold on yeah. to that, but that doesn't help yeah. you. I don't, it doesn't allow you to, to grow in your faith. It doesn't allow you to, to move forward. And so it's at some point you have to kind of reckon with that past and then kind of, you know, it, you're never going to forget it, but, but you right. have to kind of let go and and kind of accept, I guess accept God's grace because sometimes I feel that holding on is to not is 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 a barrier to accepting hmm. God's hmm. love. Hmm. That's interesting. That's interesting. Um, I, I'm just kind of curious. Like again, as someone who grew up outside the mainline Protestant tradition, how did you find yourself? Uh, how did you get into the mainline Protestant tradition? Well. It was actually towards the end of college, and I think I was questioning a lot of kind of the tenets and, and beliefs or things that within um, evangelicalism that just didn't ring true as much. And mm-hmm. um, as I said, it was also as as I was coming to terms with my own sexuality, and um, so that made me kind of looking towards, okay, are there other 
parts of Christianity that would be more accepting or at least more understanding. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, I visited and, and looked at many different um, churches. Um, and I found, I think, a good place for a few years at a, it was a um, American Baptist, uh, and it was actually American slash Southern in, mm-hmm. uh, Baptist in D.C., Calvary Baptist Church, that I think was a good place and a good kind of entry point um, yeah. into um, Amer- uh, into um, mainline Protestantism. And I think a few years later, I discovered um, the, the Christian Church Disciples of Christ mm-hmm. um, and really liked their tradition. And um, that's kind of where I ended up and ended up as a pastor. Yeah. Well, Dennis and I are both proud clergy in the Christian Church Disciples of Christ. So, shout out to our friends in the DOC. Um, yeah. Uh, before we get off track here, Dennis, I want to ask you more questions. But uh, tell, if you would, share, if you would, any spiritual practices that have been meaningful for you or you might recommend others. Yeah. You know, it's that's an interesting thing um, is – for spiritual practices have always been a challenge for me. I think partially, mm-hmm. um, well, a few years ago I was diagnosed with both, um, ADHD and I'm also on the autism spectrum. Um, mm-hmm. what that means is just, a, it's just kind of hard to, you know, there are people who will say, well, I've sat still for 30 minutes and yeah, it was such a enriching moment. And it's like, yeah, that doesn't work for me. Um, mm-hmm. because within five minutes I'm kind of, you know, looking or trying to do this or that. And I think one of the things that has helped, um, is I listen, um, each day to something, uh, uh, it's the daily prayer, which is the morning prayer from a group called forward movement. Um, hmm. and this is an organization, it's a parachurch organization, but it was, um, founded by Episcopalians. Um, back actually in the thirties that kind of to help them help, um, Episcopalians in their daily walk. And they have several podcasts out there. Um, a morning prayer one, they have one in the evening, they have a, uh, one that's a devotional. And so I listen to the morning prayer podcast. Um, and that has been kind of helpful to kind of listen to that. Um, hmm. uh, it, it's kind of the, the best way for me to kind of understand um, or at least to, to be able to kind of listen and to engage scripture and to have that kind of a, a, a practice. Um, in the past, I listened to another podcast. It was um, pray as you go, which I believe yeah. is yeah. Uh, it's put out by um, I want to say British Jesuits. Um, yeah. I've, done that myself in the past yeah it's i i think it's a great that's another great podcast and i've really enjoyed that one too yeah um but the podcast allows me to kind of do allowing me to kind of to not sit still um mm-hmm. but also to listen um the other thing that i really enjoy as a spiritual practice um and i haven't done it as much lately but i think it's important are kind of contemplative prayer services like Taize. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's that kind of um, repeating and um, kind of rote 
way that it's set up allows me to kind of enter in in a way that um, I'm not always able to do um, if it were just me sitting still and being silent. Um, so those are kind of the things that I think work for me. I, I It feels like everything, for me, any type of spiritual practice has to be kind of kinetic in nature um, for me to kind of actually uh, pick it up. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. So I had Dennis on because he just recently uh, led his church uh, through a pretty big transition. And I think a transition that more and more churches are going to be facing in the coming years, I imagine. And that was selling a building. And I thought it'd be a really intriguing conversation to kind of hear someone who just went through the process and what lessons they learned and what advice they might have. So Dennis, I thought maybe to start out, if you would kind of share about the church, kind of the story of the church and how it got to, you know, where it was. Yeah. um, I am the pastor of first Christian church of St. Paul, um, which kind of pretty much tells you kind of where its beginnings were. It was, it was the uh, Disciples of Christ congregation that was started in um, St. Paul, Minnesota. Mm-hmm. And um, it has been around since about 1882. So wow. we're saying 140 years, 140 years old. It um, used to be right not too far from downtown St. Paul. And hmm. like a lot of mainline Protestant churches, um, it got to a point where it was smaller than it used to be, and they couldn't um, really maintain that building anymore. Mm-hmm. So they sold it um, to a college and um, moved in the mid-90s and moved to uh, Matamidi, which is a suburb about 10 miles uh, north of St. Paul. Um, I got to the church in 2013, um, and by the time I was there, it was um, a pretty small congregation. Mm-hmm. And um, so that was kind of where where we were at. Um, and I, I can kind of tell you at the point that I was there for a few months, I kind of started to think that maybe this is not going to be the best place for this church to be. Hmm. Um, but so I pretty, think that time, pretty early your time there, you recognize that. Yeah. Hmm. And okay. I kind of floated the idea with one of the members and it sounded like it, there was a little hesitancy. And I think yeah. knowing I had already gone through or worked with a prior congregation, actually just down the road first, Christian of Minneapolis had done a move. Mm-hmm. I both thought that might make sense, but I was also aware of kind of the danger, not the dangers, but, but the challenges of moving. And yeah. so I didn't really, really did not do anything for a few years to kind of try to see if maybe something can happen. Um, if we still stay here, uh, during that time, um, the church had gone through um, a 
a lot of people had left from during the prior practitioner's time. Mm-hmm. And that also resulted in a lot of deferred maintenance. Yeah. And so there was a lot of problems uh, that started to crop up with the building. Um, this And the church also had a parsonage um, oh. that they had to keep up. Um, for a few years, we had um, nested, uh, we had another congregation, uh, a kind of conservative Baptist congregation that shared the church. And mm-hmm. um, the pastor's son, one of his sons, um, it was a place for them to have a home. So they were able to stay. And so they paid us rent. Um, mm-hmm. And so and we got parsonage. rent from that and from the church. Yeah. But both buildings had problems. So we had to always kind of, you know, fix this little thing, fix that right. thing. Right. Um, and then flash for, uh, forward to, um, early late 2020 or 2021 um, after kind of not meeting in the church for a year or so right um, getting back into the church um, and also kind of seeing I think where the you know there were some things that had happened during that time period of the of the pandemic that made us think that maybe it is time finally for us to look into selling the building. Right. And so throughout 2021, we did um, start meeting with um, realtors. We start just to find out, you know, what is the property worth? Um, would this person want to go forward and helping us to, to sell the building? But we still kind of did not move forward. Um, mm-hmm. We were still kind of in a holding pattern but we were starting to think about it um, and to really entertain the idea that maybe it was time to sell the building. Mm-hmm. So I'm kind of curious, like what were some of the key like discussions or conversations that were had amongst again, uh, leadership. And again, for people coming from different church contexts, uh, governance, polity contexts, that's going to look different, but for your context, what, what were some of those key conversations that were had? Well, one of the conversations, and this was had been a, an issue for as long as I can remember, and probably before, even before that, was the building wasn't accessible um, mm-hmm. at all, like um, ADA accessible, right? Yes, exactly. So there was mm-hmm. no. Um, you immediately enter into the building, and there were these very steep stairs, and mm-hmm. so that made it difficult for. I mean, not even we're not even just talking about people that were used that used wheelchairs, but right. Um, we had several Folks limited uh, mobility, exactly, and right. who it was just hard to get up those stairs, um, and so you know, and to try to do anything that would have required um, remodeling the building would have been incredibly extensive and right um, and, and expensive. Yeah, um, so that was an issue that we we were starting to think about um, is that that was also in many ways, I think hindering our growth because there was just, there were people who might've been interested in being um, in visiting, mm-hmm. but if you can't get up the stairs, that's a problem. Yeah. And, um, and our bathrooms of course also were not ADA compliant. So that yeah. was also an issue. Um, 
so that I mean that that was one of the 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 initial discussions was about that problem um, mm-hmm. that it was just um, hard to get into that building. Um, and I think it was also for a lot of people, it was hard to find um, hmm. because we were kind of up on a hill mm-hmm. um, on a road. So we weren't incredibly visible um, yeah. for people to see us. Um, so that was an issue. And also even just kind of the look of the, you know, again, because this had been, I would say many years of deferred maintenance, you could right. tell that it was rather um, run down in, in yeah. how it was looking. So it would, it made it very difficult to do, um, I think just to do effective ministry in the building um, Yeah, is, is some of the problems. Yeah. So what did it, what did it look like? Like, I mean, was there like a congregational vote? We're like, let's do this. Uh, what was kind of like a, a key tipping point? The key tipping point actually came in early 2022. And actually, it was just the the, the January 2nd, so the day after New Year's. Mm-hmm. I, I get um, someone from the other congregation um, tells us that they are, they may not survive. Um, there has been some. There were some issues going on in, um, internally in their congregation. This church I was renting from you. Yes, and and okay. and kind of providing a substantial portion of our budget, mm-hmm. um, and we didn't have a huge amount of, of budget period because we didn't have right. a huge amount of people. Right. Uh, so all of a sudden, we no longer. Um, and and it happened suddenly. I mean, you know, he tells us this, and then next few next Sunday or two Sundays, they don't meet. Wow. And we just find out they're done. And it wasn't a, here's our closing worship service or anything to that extent. It was just boom. So yeah. Yeah. And you know, we were able to work with them to at least get the rent for that final month. Mm -hmm. Um, On top of that, we had had the, the um, family that had been renting in the house had moved to their own home a year prior. Mm-hmm. Um, and we had someone come in, um, kind of working through a, 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 um, a nonprofit that was helping on, on dealing with people who were, who were facing or dealing with homelessness. So that mm-hmm. there was a, a mother and her family that were um, renting, but that had its, its issues. So we had to actually stop yeah. that a few months prior so that lost that income. Yeah. And so immediately then we had no, besides the income that we were getting from our own people, not a whole month out, much out there. And we only had maybe only a few more months to go before we were done. Hmm. Um, so that kind of made the <clears throat> decision of, we need to really just move forward with this now. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's where I immediately started engaging realtors. Um, we had yeah. kind of a small group of people that were coming together and meeting with people. And um, slowly but surely, we we found a realtor that we wanted to go with um, and move forward with. And the decision was as not as much a board decision as it was a decision of the trustees. 
hmm. uh, because they were the ones that had the power on issues concerning the selling of property or any type of mm-hmm. proceeds and all of that. So um, we worked to get um, them on board and the majority got on board with that. And we were able to then have a, um, a realtor who was able to kind of put the, the, um, the property on the market. Um, yeah. That was, I think, by late March of 2022. So y'all are moving pretty quick. <laughs> yes. Pretty quick. Now I'm curious, like many churches I can imagine when faced with such a scenario would just be like, you know what? We've had a good run here. Let's just fold up shop, call it good, close the church. What what was like, what is it about your church would you say is like, why? Obviously, there's something they still believe is worth keeping going. Uh, talk talk about kind of that energy and what, what maybe what kind of, de- um, can't think of the word here, deciphering, uh, decision-making there was around, you know, why we want to keep going. A discernment that's the word yeah yeah looking for it is it's it's interesting i think that there are a lot of people there that they they still want to be church um, mm-hmm. they still want to do and come together for worship um even though they're few in number um mm-hmm. and i think that there is some type of uh i don't know the only word that's coming to mind, well, it, it's stubbornness in some hmm. ways. Yeah. Um, of we, we want to stay together. And and then, of course, you had a pastor who either is a little bit crazy or not uh, that wanted to keep keep this church alive. And mm-hmm. there was, I still believe that God can still use this congregation. Yeah. Um, and you know that doesn't necessarily mean it's going to continue in the same way it does everything, right? Um, but I still think that there is a need for this congregation, um, and I don't feel like God has said anything like, "Oh, it's time to go." Yeah. Um, so I think that those two factors really kind of factored in, um, and it was really helpful. We had um, in December of last year, the our regional minister came to worship with us. And, you know, I shared something about how, you know, we're kind of a small congregation and he shared a story about one of his prior calls, which was to a very, a small congregation of maybe like 12 people in West Virginia mm-hmm. and how incredibly faithful they were. Um, and how incredibly willing they were to kind of be in service to their surrounding community. Hmm. And I think that that was encouragement um, mm-hmm. that we may be a small in number, but that doesn't mean that we need to close up or yeah. give up. Um, I think God can do a lot with small things, and that seems to actually be God's mo. Um, yeah, yeah. Throughout the Bible. Yep. Thinking of the Gideon Gideon story. Is that right? Exactly. Yeah. Um. So uh, I want to ask about kind of like some real practical, like kind of liturgies, things around leaving the building. But kind of before I ask that, I'm kind of curious, like, do you think 
having that prior history of selling a building, you know, moving from uh, what downtown St. Paul, you said to kind of the burbs, what, 30 years ago ish. Yep. Do you think that helped kind of like the institutional memory of that having happened in the past helped this willingness to say, Hey, we can, we can do transitions. You know, I think that that it does. I mean, I don't think that there are, there's only maybe one or two people that are still there that were Mm -hmm. part of that initial move back in in the mid nineties. But I think that that memory is still there. Yeah. Um, And so I don't think that there was as much of a, I think that there wasn't as much of a barrier to it because we had done it before mm-hmm. and it was within recent memory. It wasn't yeah. something that happened, you know, 50 years ago, but something that happened 30. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that that did make it somewhat easier because we had done a move before um, and we were, we could do it again. It yeah. Didn't make it easier. Right. But, um, we could do it. Yeah. Share, what are some like liturgies, rituals you did around like when it was the end was near last Sunday type thing? Well, one of the things that we did, and I think has become a a thing because there around this time, two other churches were selling their buildings um, that were disciple churches in the in the Twin Cities. Hmm. Um, interesting. One of them has since closed. I think the, their decommissioning, their service was um, decommissioning the building and closing. But the other okay. one is still kind of a question mark. Mm-hmm. Um, but the whole thing of a, a of a decommissioning service, mm-hmm. uh, which I see as becoming something that at least has been done within disciples. I don't know if that's throughout the denomination, but at least in the upper Midwest. And it's a way of saying um, that this, the service that this building once um, was used for is no longer. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was, that's something that we did. We did that on um, July 24th of this year. Um, we had um, someone from the region come up to be a part of that. Um, and so we went through all of, you know, the saying, kind of saying goodbye Mm-hmm. Um, closing that chapter of it. And I think it was important for people. Um, and it was a way of saying um, that this chapter of, of the, the life of the church was over, but yeah. the church itself wasn't over. Yeah. Um, but we did need to have that, that sense of closing this part of the, of, of the life of that church. And I think, that was helpful. I think that any church, if they're selling their building um, and moving, um, should consider doing that because it. I think it offers a a, a break yeah. between where you were and where you are now, um, and and hopefully even to open up to trying and doing different things um, than you would have beforehand. Yeah. Um, let me shift gears here a little bit in the conversation. We've been talking kind of theoretical. I, I want to hear some, some practical things. Um, and again, you don't need to share here, uh, dollars and cents specifics, but I'm curious kind of like 
um, you know, as much as you can or are willing to share about your church's plan for the proceeds and then like what advice or what would you advise other churches to do? You know, what did your church do? And then uh, I'm also kind of curious, like, did you put any like kind of guardrails in place? You know, I've seen in some situations like a church sells their building and basically just like draws down all the funds and then closes five, 10 years later. Like what what are your thoughts around that situation? Well, um, one of the things it, that was helpful for me is that I had gone, like I said, I had gone through this before with, because I was the associate pastor at um, First Christian of uh, Minneapolis. Um, and Minneapolis sold their building in uh, 2008, and they had a, um, a pastor there, uh, an interim pastor, Bob Bright, mm-hmm. who um, I think he had... He's one of those few pastors, I think, that has a great mind for money and, and money management. Mm-hmm. And so his whole thing was to set up um, working with um, our denominational agencies, our church extension fund, mm-hmm. and then our foundation um, to set up accounts that would be um, that would grow over time. And they would also be accounts that we could set up that would allow us to um, withdraw a certain amount, usually the interest the, um, that had accrued from an account to um, help our sustain mm-hmm. um, our budget year to yeah. year. Yeah. So that's kind of where I'm trying to, we're work, I'm working with our trustees right now um, and they are um, hopefully they're um, chatting with people with, um, church extension, our uh, fund for mm-hmm. the disciples and um, for the Christian church foundation so that we're not simply just drawing down on our, um, our funds, but hopefully having them invested and hopefully then to have them um, to use to help our budget for years to come. Because I think the danger is to use is to just draw it down and right. that's, then right. you're going to be in the same situation just a few years later. And that's, right. that's not helpful. Yeah. Uh, how about some, like, I don't know if you have anything that you'd say, like went wrong in your, your situation, but I, I can imagine there's some things where like, well, that could have gone wrong or that was a danger area. What are some thoughts you had on, you might have on that? Some words of warning. I think, for me early on, it would be that if you're a pastor and you're coming into a building, uh, into a situation with a building and a ministry, and if you're there for a few months and you feel this isn't, this building isn't working, hmm. you need to talk to them then. Um, yeah, that's good. Not that I, you know, I think we, it's great that we did, we were able to kind of do it what we did, but I, I feel like in some ways I waited way too long mm-hmm. um, until it kind of was a, a, a crisis that we had to do it. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we were slowly moving in that direction, but um, I think it would have made, a, I think we, it would have been better had we had done this four or five years ago mm-hmm. um, instead of kind of waiting um, and I think part of it is you don't want to, as a pastor, rock the boat all the time. Right. But 
this was a boat that needed rocking. And um, obviously it came to a point where we had to do it. And um, there just wasn't any um, situation. There wasn't any other decision. So I think for any other pastor, if you're there and you feel this is a, your gut is saying this isn't working. Yeah. You need to talk to your church board or, session or whatever governing uh, right. count, um, body that you have and and bring this up. Okay. So you've been in two of these scenarios. Mm-hmm. Give some practical, like warning uh, red flags. I don't know what the right word would be. A lot of like, Hey, the, your gut's right here. Yeah. I think, you know, the other thing is make sure that you do have some guardrails. Make sure you have a plan on what you're going to do with the proceeds. Mm-hmm. Um, do not just use them to draw down. Yeah. Um, and if you're going to spend it, spend it on things that are going to make a difference, whether um, it's hiring someone that can do with outreach or something. Mm-hmm. I, I think the, the thing is invest the money. Don't just have it there to keep doing what you're always doing. Cause that's, yeah. that's not investing it. That's just kind of, you know, to use that old parable, it's, it's kind of burying it and just yeah. doing what you always do. Yep. And that's not going to work. Um, so make sure you have a plan on how you're going to use that money and make sure that you invest it and investing. It can mean putting it through, you know, manage funds and all of that. It can also mean new ministries and new things, but whatever you do, make sure that that money is being used to really further the mission of the church, not just to maintain. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what I'm also curious, like, what are some kind of like building things? Like you mentioned, not being ADA accessible, deferred maintenance. You know, what are some other things that pastors could see and recognize? And be like, yeah. These are kind of like stacking up here. Um, I think just look around the building, see how it, I mean, you know, one of the things is see how it smells. Um, <laughs> I, I know that sounds hilarious, but it's, it's, it's um, for us, it was, it was, a, you, the, you could t- smell how moldy it was. Yeah. And that was years of no, not taking care of the building. Mm-hmm. And so if that's an issue, if you can can smell that, anyone who visits is going to smell that. Yep. And yeah, it might you might think it's superficial that people are not coming because um, of a building, but that does matter, mm-hmm. and that actually can have some health issues, especially if it's mold or things like that. Right. But if you're seeing things that look somewhat um, dilapidated, um, you need to have a talk with your people. Like yeah. Right away. Yeah. So you, you kind of shared like uh, to, to, to wrap this up a little bit, you kind of shared like you still believe in your church. It sounds like your church still believes in your church. Um, what keeps you hopeful maybe in your context? And then also kind of what words of hope would you share with other pastors who might find themselves in a similar boat? I think what keeps me hopeful is that there are people there who want to dig in and get involved in the life of the church. Mm. And um, since we've moved, we're, we're, we haven't moved into a, 
our own building, at least not at this point. Um, mm-hmm. We're sharing space at a Lutheran congregation in um, another suburb, Roseville. Uh-huh. And um, I think what's been, you know, seeing people engaged in wanting to do what's best for the church, wanting to, um, you know, I have one of my members, she wants to go and um, put door hangers on um in the neighborhood where we're Hey, at. that's good effort. Um, and you know, you want to honor and value yeah. people who want to do that. Right. Um, and you know, there's a the sense of fellowship that is there. Um, and I think it's, I think I see in the, in the worship and everything, there are people who want to be involved. Um, mm, and mm-hmm. um, I think they start still trying to figure out what that is. Right. And, um, that's kind of where I come in to help kind of help in whatever way. But um, these people still want to, to try. They are not, you know, they don't want to just give up. And yeah. so that, that's something I want to honor and it's something I want to um, help working with them um, to see how God can use us in the future. Is that like a, key metric, key measuring thing? Like do the people, you know, broadly speaking for pastors, like do your people still want to try? Yes. Um, I think that that is a key metric. I also think that, that the, I know it sounds, I don't want to make it sound like, well, it's all about me, but, mm-hmm. but it's also a pastor that, that if yep. they want to try, yep. because yep. if a pastor doesn't want to try or if they, um, then it's just not going to work. Right. Um, but I think that that does matter to have a pastor, to have in a congregation that are both willing to, to, to try and see what happens. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, hopefully it will work out, but I think it's better to try than to have just given up. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this has been a, this has been a helpful conversation and I hope others find it helpful Um, let's take a quick break and we'll come back with some closing questions. All right. We're back with Reverend Dennis Sanders and, uh, Dennis, thanks for your time today. And, uh, some closing questions for you. Uh, If you're a Pope for a day, what would you like to do with that day? I think I would have, I would want to have people from, especially I think in, in, at least in American context from evangelical and, mainline Protestant backgrounds to sit and to really listen to each other. Um, I think too much of our modern discourse, we talk at each other instead of um, to one another. And it's not about trying to agree on everything because we're not going to. Yeah. But I'd like to have greater chances for us to listen because maybe in listening, we would at least understand one another and mm-hmm. respect one another. Yeah. And I think right now there's just too much of, there's a lot of talking, but there isn't a lot of listening. And mm-hmm. so that's kind of what I would want to do. Yeah. That'd be pretty good. Pretty good. Um, a theologian or historical Christian figure you'd want to meet or bring back to life. Hmm. Yeah, that's a good one. Um, I think one person that I'd like to meet, because I never did get to meet him, 
was um, James Cone. Hmm. Um, and he was a theologian and kind of responsible for uh, black theology. Mm-hmm. Um, he came from, a, I mean, politically from a way different background. And, you know, some of the kind of Marxist stuff is kind of like, yeah, I don't really agree with that. But mm-hmm. I think his concept and understanding of relating um, the suffering of Jesus on the cross with the African-American experience, especially um, during mm-hmm. Jim Crow, um, was valuable. Um, yeah. and, and I think helpful for me. And and I think helped me also to understand that Black church tr- tradition that I grew up in. Um, hmm. And so I would love to, um, and he only died a few years ago, but I would love to have had a chance to talk to him and yeah. learn a little bit more about him. Yeah. Um, what do you think history will remember from our current time and place? Hmm. I think they will remember that, and this is kind of related to the first answer, that they we didn't really learn to talk to one another. Hmm. Um, I think the prior generations especially post-World War II, because of that that event, mm-hmm. um, that cataclysm, really made people, one, want to cooperate more with one another. Um, mm-hmm. And they felt that they, there might be some things in common. Yeah. And I also think that it, it pushed America forward in many ways um, to dealing with issues such as civil rights and and women's rights and gay rights and all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and we kind of live in an age now where there's less, we have, we feel that there is less in common. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's true, but I, I think we feel that way. So yeah. we don't talk to one another and therefore we don't really find ways of, of cooperating, find ways of seeking common ground. Yeah. Well, Dennis, I really appreciate your time and having this conversation with me. I, I hope it's helpful to others who may find themselves in a situ- similar situation. I always leave folks with a word of peace. So may God's peace be with you. Thanks for joining us on the Future Christian Podcast. To learn more about Lauren or the podcast, visit future-christian.com. One more thing before you go, do us a favor and subscribe to the podcast. And if you're feeling especially generous, leave a review. It really helps us get the word out to more people about the podcast. The Future Christian Podcast is a production of Torn Curtain Arts and Resonate Media. Our episodes were mixed by Danny Burton, and the production support is provided by Paul Romaglevitt. Thanks, and go in peace. Peace.